This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. show before the show podcast the official podcast of minor league baseball which i have to talk fast because i put us 15 minutes late in starting to record today my name is tyler mon alongside sam dykstra and benjamin hill in new york city guys how are you not enough time to answer that question i put us 15 minutes late getting started uh no i'm kidding uh <laughs> what's going on how's uh how are things in the office today things are doing very well sam things are great and uh yeah i feel bad for anybody who's listening at this at one and a half time speed as i know some of you are <laughs> Apologies in advance. Yeah, that reminds no, me of uh, no, the, four times maybe, maybe I'm a bit, uh, well, I am a bit older than you guys, but remember the micro machine commercials? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, micro machines oh. taking over the place with real live dragsters ready to race. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the three of us, as it always is, on this week's episode of the show before the show. And we are joined by a fourth co host this week, you, the fan. Uh, you like how I did that? Uh, it's our mailbag episode. We submitted uh, this procedure to all of you via the episode of the show last week and also uh, through our social media channels. We got some great questions in. We have narrowed them down to about a half a dozen or so. Uh, we got input from our uh, 1930s newsreel reporter man, Josh Jackson. Uh, we'll hear from him as well coming up here in a little bit. And uh, we're excited to dive in for this. This is such a fun idea for an episode. Yeah, this has been kind of a long time coming. I mean, we've always asked people to send in questions and, and occasionally they do. And we, we'd like to answer them on the show or via email or, or Twitter. But um, we did get a, a pretty solid response to this through Twitter, through Instagram. Uh, and it's a pretty wide range of topics, which is, you know, uh, which is great. for being minor league baseball and yeah. this podcast. It isn't just, uh, you know, who is the best pitching prospect in the Blue Jays system or what promotion are you most excited about this year? We got stuff from all across the minor league baseball gamut, and we are excited to dive into it. Um, should we kick it off? Should we roll? Yeah, let's roll. I will briefly say, though, that we do have an email address, right? We do. Podcast at MILB.com. And uh, not too much coming in on there. And I would just say, speaking for myself, an old-fashioned lad, I think – such questions have more weight when you take the time to send an email with definitely a better chance of us addressing it and, and, uh, and a personalized response as well. Um, you know, we try to be as personal as possible, no matter what the, the forum and the format, but, um, you know, take the time every once in a while to write an email. It, it does all our hearts good. And it, uh, yeah, it enables you to give more background on the thing you want to know about. And it gives us the ability to um, answer more in depth on things like that. So yeah, podcast at MILB.com. Um, uh, we do get a good amount of emails uh, to that email address. They're just generally trying to send us like pizza ovens made in China or things. We get a lot of like spam, like, would you guys like to purchase these I don't know, boat propellers. Like it's a lot of stuff. I'm like, how, where do these bot email accounts from uh, manufacturers overseas, where do they get our email address and think like, yeah, we're going to, going to get some money out of these fellas. I don't get it. Well, it's time. I told you that when I've been buying my propellers and pizza ovens, I've been using the podcast email address. So sorry, it has to come out this way. (laughs) 
when Sam is, uh, you know, people have food trucks. Sam's got like a like a brick oven pizza boat, and uh, he's been he's been stocking all of that by using podcast at milv.com and his uh, as his confirmation email address. Well, now we know. Yeah, hey, yeah. The the previous centuries had rum running, where people <laughs> were were bringing rum all over the place. I'm just bringing high quality pizzas uh, to all the islands of the upper northeast. Yeah, Sam he has is a slinging pizza pizza. That's the name of his, uh, pizza his, pizza new, uh, his new establishment and a uh, floating establishment and uh, franchisees get in touch if you would like to run your own pizza barge location, which of course could, you know, could dock at many locations. It's a great yeah, concept. exactly. It's a mobile uh, aquatic pizza uh, phenomenon. It's, you know, we're, we're breaking the ground. Yeah, all right, dudes. Well, let's dive in on the first ever mailbag edition of the show before the show podcast. We are going to kick things off with the most important question that pertains to minor league baseball in 2022, which comes to us via Tom from Instagram, who asks, quote, are they going to play baseball this year? And the answer for minor league baseball is 100% absolutely. Opening day is coming up early April. Uh, Sam, I know this is something that you posted the other day, uh, right after the conclusion of the Super Bowl, when ordinarily everybody would have gone off on the, yeah, it's baseball season tweets. Uh, not exactly the case right now with the Major League Baseball lockout. The minor league baseball season is completely unaffected, with the exception of players who are on 40 man rosters. Yeah. I mean, the Triple A opening day is April 5th, Double A, High A, Low A opening day is April 8th. Those are going to go off barring some weather, who knows, it, it could rain uh, in your locality, so there might not be minor league baseball if there's a delay or postponement. But generally, as things stand right now, there is going to be minor league baseball on April 5th. That is not moving. That is not changing, no matter what happens with the work stoppage. We've said it in the last couple episodes. It's good to address here because we're going to continue getting questions probably right up till April 4th. Are they playing tomorrow? Um, hopefully that the work stoppage is figured out by then, but still it's a good thing to repeat every week. There will be baseball on April 5th at AAA, all the other minor leagues, full season minor leagues on April 8th. Although I do like that Sam pointed out weather permitting. Right. Right. It's important. It's, for it's April. True. You know, it is true. Like, there are going to be some places that are playing on April 5th that are going to like, there's that, Oh, there's always that game in Buffalo. I was going to start out yeah. the year. As things stand right now, it's Iowa at Buffalo at one o'clock. And they do that because it would be frigid. Right. Now, mind you, Scranton at Syracuse is happening at 635. It's going to be equally cold there. Uh, yeah, that's that's the first game on your calendar is Iowa at Buffalo at one o'clock. Kudos to the uh, the Syracuse Mets fans who are going to be showing up for that one a season open. I don't know. Maybe they'll get unseasonably warm weather. Um, but uh, we also have an entirely new, not new anymore. It's second season. But uh, High A West uh, is the newest entrant onto the full season landscape. And I interviewing uh, Otto Klein from the, the Spokane Indians last week or two weeks ago for our ballpark guide. Uh, we were talking about, you know, that team has been a short season team for 30 some years, having games in April, you know, in Spokane and Eugene and Everett, uh, all those Northwestern spots, those could be pretty chilly as well. But the most important thing is all of those teams will be in action when the minor league baseball season starts in 2022 in that first week of April. And we are excited for it. Um, so with that, let's roll to question number two from Dax Littleton at Daxi underscore taxi on Twitter. Uh, Dax asks, it's a difficult thing to say. Dax asks, uh, what all did you study in college? Gents, take it away. I went to the university of Pittsburgh. And uh, I went there because I grew up in Pennsylvania. And it was a state school, but also very far away. 
I major in communications. I declared that freshman year and just stuck with it. Looking back, I kind of wonder what my plan was. I was really into more like media analysis as opposed to actually writing. College radio was by far the biggest thing for me in college. Graduated with a communications degree, didn't quite know what to do. Worked in education. One thing led to another. And here I am talking to you on a minor league baseball podcast in the year 2022. Yeah, I studied journalism at Boston University. My minor was political science. Um, which if you know me in my personal life may not surprise you, but if you heard me on the show, might surprise you a little bit more. Uh, BU is just like the perfect place for me because Boston was the city for us. I, I feel like that's always a fun question to ask somebody. What was the city for you? Boston was that. Uh, it's right around Fenway Park. So me and my dad, when we went on the tour the first time, uh, we were thinking like, hey, this has like a feel of Fenway because this is where we used to go every time we went to a Red Sox game. And it was I had that excitement to it. And that didn't really rub off for a while. It took me a few years before I'd still like I would still get excited seeing people walking to Fenway to see a Red Sox game while I'm going to the library uh, to work on an essay. So, Nerd. yeah, I was. Well, you know, some things never change. But uh, but yeah, that BU journalism was the major profession. And then I graduated uh, December, 2011. And then I started this job, March, 2012. So this is, it was pretty seamless transition from there. Did you graduate early? You were a December graduate? I did. Wow. I did. My last class was when I was studying abroad in Ireland and me and my buddy, Josh just turned to each other and we're like, we're done with college. Now. Not Josh Jackson to be clear. Not Josh Jackson. No, Josh Jackson and I are not the same age. We do have, uh, Josh's answer for this question coming up as well. Um, a fun fact about Boston university and I know Sam is thinking that I'm going to needle or troll him, but I'm not. Uh, Braves Field, the former home of the Boston Braves, that is on campus, correct? Or the site of that is on campus. And there is still, I believe, some sort of element uh, similarly to the University of Pittsburgh, where Forbes Field, uh, the outline of the outfield wall, part of the outfield wall is still there. Uh, two very cool baseball history things on your campuses. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I had classes in Forbes Hall, which was, you know, partially located where that uh, Forbes field had been. And uh, I would sometimes walk through campus and be like, wow, what if a Major League Baseball game was taking place right here? Wow. And, of course, and what a sight, too. Like you could have been walking across the spot where Bill Mazeroski made contact with the walk off home run in the World Series against the Yankees. Like that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, there's still fans who gather there every year for the anniversary and listen to radio broadcast. And somehow I did not do that. But the Cathedral of Learning, Pitt's iconic building, is uh, right nearby. And there's that great, great photograph of fans on the roof of the Cathedral of Learning peering way down into Forbes Field during that 1960 World Series. And it's a classic uh, ballpark photo. And uh, yeah, when I went to Pitt, I was actually there during the transition from Three Rivers to PNC. But the Forbes Field era was long gone. Yeah, no, Braves Field is now Nickerson Field at BU. Right. Uh, there is a plaque there that, that'll let you know that. It's a little difficult to, to find, um, but there is something that marks that. But yeah, I've played touch football on that field. I've covered lacrosse on that field. I've covered soccer on that field. We don't have a football team anymore, but there was an old uh, professional football team on that that played there. Um, so yeah, it, it would have been cool had the Braves stayed in Boston because we would have had a team on West campus and a team on East campus for the Red Sox. They 
Commonwealth Avenue connects those two places. It would have been really neat, but crazy. happy for Atlanta to have a team now in a World Series winning team, but they trace their history back to the Western campus of Boston University. One of the oldest franchises in all of baseball. That picture from the Cathedral of Learning, by the way, the, the perspective on that picture makes it look as though that building is 7,000 stories tall. That's a famous and gorgeous picture in baseball history. But every time I look at that picture, I'm like, how tall is that building? I forget how many floors it has, but I want to say something maybe closer to 25 or 30, but it's okay. very narrow. It shoots straight up. And it's actually, like the Tower of Babel. It's like, yeah. A, and I, yeah. And I was, uh, you know, involved in college radio and, uh, you know, access to the roof was very much prohibited, but we had our transmitter up there. And one time, cool station manager, for some reason, I got to go up there and I remember climbing this ladder to get to the top and being like, wow, what a privilege. I get to be on the roof of the Cathedral of Learning. That is amazing. That's all I got. That is really cool. Um, Tyler, what about you? I attended uh, the University of Nebraska Lincoln, um, the flagship campus in the state capital uh, of Nebraska, down the road uh, from Omaha, the home of the Storm Chasers slash Runzas slash Sizzle um, for a minor league connection. We did not have any um, former uh, major league ballparks located on campus uh, at UNL, but we did have obviously uh, a one-time mighty football program, <laughs> and, uh, a baseball program that now is very good. But yeah, similarly to Ben, uh, I kind of knew from you know moment number one really what I wanted to do. So uh, yeah, I declared my major as broadcasting. My freshman year, I actually went to Washington State University, uh, but I transferred after my freshman year. Uh, went to UNL. My dad is from Lincoln originally. Great journalism school. Uh, so got there, did, uh, yeah, did a broadcasting major at the, the College of Journalism and Mass Communication. I did uh, a, uh, a lot of student radio as well, like Ben. Uh, still to this day, the largest crowd that I've ever broadcasted a game uh, in attendance with was a, uh, a Nebraska football game with 85,000 or whatever it was uh, in that stadium for a, a game in which we uh, defeated Chase Daniel and the Missouri Tigers to win the Big 12 North and then go get slaughtered in the Big 12 championship game in 2006. Um, but it was quarterback, by the way, Zach Taylor of the AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. So I last couple of weeks have been telling everybody, oh, yeah, I went to college with Zach Taylor. I didn't know Zach Taylor. We went, we were on the same campus at the same time. I think I saw him twice in person, but I get to use that like I'm, I'm somebody important. Um, but yeah, that was my, um, that was my college journey. And now we turn it over to one Joshua Jackson. Josh? I always tried to avoid taking courses in mathematics, which led to my being handed a bachelor's degree in screenwriting. Upon receipt, I set out for Hollywood and showed my diploma to the guard at the gates of the Paramount Studios. He said it was a very nice diploma and sent me away. I later earned a graduate degree in writing, which has been the key to my wealth. You get a little taste for uh, what's coming up from Josh Jackson, uh, which... <laughs> We're very excited about for the remainder of the show. Uh, let's go to question number three from HudzyNH9 on Instagram asking, who is the number one hitter? And we interpreted this as, who's the top hitting prospect in baseball? And we're going to turn it to our prospect guru himself, Sam Dykstra. Yeah, I mean, there's multiple ways we could spin this. Is it like the number one position player prospect in the game right now? Is it the number one prospect just on bat alone? I'll, I'll split them up separately, and I don't want to give away too many answers because we are going to be doing our MLB Pipeline Top 100, uh, and this would be a heck of a way to leak who's, who's going to be number one in that. But the debate right now really in baseball, and if we're just looking at position players, it's between Adley Rutschman, Bobby Witt Jr., and Julio Rodriguez. Um, 
who is number one amongst them, it, it might honestly come down to your favorite flavor of prospect. You got Adley Rutschman, a bona fide catcher, would be a star as a defensive catcher, um, but really, really good with the bat, switch hitter, former number one overall pick going back a couple of years. Um, you know, the bat, the bat didn't regress a little bit, but it was a little bit more challenged at the higher levels last year. Uh, you have Bobby Witt Jr., who came very, very close to being our only 30-30 player in the Meyer Leagues. Uh, another guy who could be a star defensively at shortstop, they might have to move him over to third base, the Royals, uh, just because of positional needs. But killer arm, all five tools are there. Uh, I've heard both the speed and power could earn plus-plus grades. Um, I think the power is a little ahead of the speed myself, but still, all of the pieces are there. Julio Rodriguez. If we're looking at just the bat, I think I, I will bet on the bat of Julio Rodriguez above the other guys. Um, we saw him hit everywhere he went last year, and that included the Olympics. Um, he can hit for power. He can hit for average. He shows an approach that's well beyond his years. Uh, the biggest question with him is, yes, he can play some center field. I think he's more likely to stick in right field, which hurts his value. Adley and Bobby Witt Jr. We're talking about guys who are bona fide up the middle prospects. Uh, so there is a debate here. If we're betting just on the bat, I think Rodriguez has a better chance to maybe someday win like a triple crown, something like that. Um, but I do think Bobby Wood Jr. is right there with him. And then it's Adley Rushman's glove that brings him into that conversation. So these are the three guys we're talking about. You have to tune in when we do re release our number one rankings, uh, where we stand on who is the best amongst those three, but it is very, very close. And those three guys are in a tier all their own. So there you have it, the unparalleled analysis of Sam Dykstra as we get closer and closer to the start of this 22 season. Uh, let's move on to a uh, uh, culinary item on our checklist today, which comes to us from Patrick Lyons at Patrick D. Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, not Patrick with some lions uh on twitter what food identity logo would you most like to eat i love this question uh ben let's start it with you well yeah you can go in a lot of different directions with this um, i'm gonna keep it simple um you know i grew up in the philadelphia area uh, i love cheesesteaks i'm gonna put aside my celiac disease and just pretend that you know we're in a perfect world and uh the lehigh valley iron pigs with the uh philadelphia cheesesteaks identity um you know i've had to make do with cheesesteak nachos is kind of the closest i can get to that flavor but i would love to eat the full-on philadelphia cheesesteaks and of course wit onion which of course uh, is really i think the only way to do it but yeah, i'm gonna keep it keep it local keep it with uh, philadelphia triple a lehigh valley cheesesteaks i'm with you on that uh sam uh mine might be too basic but i had two in mind and one is the california burrito uh, I just love that look so much, the way they use it on the hat. And it has like a tinfoil aspect to it, which yeah. obviously I'm not eating, but like, it's just, it makes it so much more visceral. The package. Um, and it's bent in the way, the style of California. I don't know. It, it, that just really speaks to me every time I look at it. I think like I need to get to a Mexican place right now. And the other one is the thing I actually have every day, which is the Norfolk coffee. Okay. I'm a hot coffee guy, no matter what the season is, it can be 95 degrees in the middle of July and I'm still getting hot coffee. Yeah. But like, considering that's a thing I do imbibe in every day, like that, that not at the same time, I don't want burritos and coffee, but coffee in the morning, burritos at night, pretty standard. I, uh, my initial reaction to this was a thing 
that I love. And I mentioned a moment ago, which was the, the Runzas, uh, the Omaha Runzas. I do love me a Runza, uh, but I get a Runza every time my dad and I go visit his family in Nebraska. I want to go as wacky and as embodied of the minor league baseball world as the food identities uh, have created. And that means I want a Rochester plate, man. I still have no idea what the Rochester plates uh, are. I know Ben has explained to us what a garbage plate in Rochester is a million times. I know it's like potatoes and cheese and chili, and there's like Skittles and they grind up tires and put them on there. Like, I don't know (laughs) what is going on on a Rochester garbage plate, but I have to try a garbage plate if I'm going to do a food identity. Can't go wrong with that. They originated at a specific location in Rochester. I want to say it was like Nick, Nick Tahoe's, I believe is, is the name of the establishment. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've had them in Rochester and uh, Batavia used to sell them, Batavia Muck Dogs. And um, I got some outside of Bingham, Binghamton too. I need to adjust a little for the gluten-free. I think they usually have mac and cheese, but it is the quintessential late night. Uh, you know, you had a few, it's one in the morning and you get a garbage plate. There is a quote in the uh, the original release from Rochester uh, in which they talked with uh, Nick Tahu Hots is the uh, is the place that I think rolled this out. Uh, and it was 100 years ago when the team unveiled this identity in 2017, where they have a quote uh, from Alex Tahu. And Alex, I'm so sorry if I'm butchering your last name. I'm sure you're an avid listener of the podcast. Um, but he said, uh, when my grandfather opened the business in 1918, they called it hots and potatoes. Then in the eighties, we started to get a bunch of college kids who came in and didn't know what it was. So they would just say, quote, give me a plate with all that garbage on it. And the name stuck, which is incredible to me. Uh, but they also describe it is a plate, two burgers or two hot dogs served on a bed of macaroni salad and home fries topped with meat, hot sauce and onions. Uh, so I, I want to have it. And then hopefully they'll craft another alternate identity called the Rochester Toilets. Um, let's hear from Josh Jackson. Josh, what do you got? I can't speak for the other fellas, but I'm an avowed pescatarian. And some years ago, I swore off altogether the eating of logos. All right, moving along to uh, our good friend Caleb Webb, who asks, quote, this is an involved one. Uh, who would you have a star in an office-style comedy about a minor league baseball front office. Uh, I'll cut you off there. Maybe we can just kind of uh, riff on this generally without doing an entire uh, (laughs) whole cast. Yeah, fire away. This question comes up, has come up on Twitter for years in various permutations. And I, I remember probably six, seven, eight years ago talking to people like on the road and saying there needs to be a front office comedy in the vein of the office. So it's nice to see uh, address this question and you know see it still getting some traction. So I was thinking about someone who I would like to see in a star in a project such as this, and you know for me part of its bias being a huge Mr. Show fan going back to those college days at the University of Pittsburgh. Um, he's now much more famous than that, but Bob Odenkirk um, you know has a comedy background but can play it you know straight as well. Uh, there's often a kind of simmering sadness and rage behind it. And I just like the idea of him as a general manager, um, you know, in charge, but also put upon and uh, trying to balance his staff, the demands of the industry. And I just think he's the kind of person who could actually carry a show of that nature. So uh, that is a going. great answer. Bob That's a great that, answer. That, that is good when I was thinking of somebody kind of along those lines who I always think is, is great at like the center of something um, and uh, would allow the frills to be a little bit more 
active and, and kooky and crazy, which is J.K. Simmons. Ah, that's a good everything J.K. Simmons is in is great. That is true. Um, and him just being the straight man while everything else is going wacky and crazy, and him just kind of ending every day with his head in his hands of like, how did we make this work? But also bringing some warmth to it. I think he's at his best when he's not yelling and screaming uh, like he was in Whiplash, but when he actually has a little bit of heart. Uh, which he's capable of doing. So I don't know. J.K. Simmons at the center of this makes a bunch of sense. And then you could get crazy and wacky with all the other ones. Uh, you got to go with um, the supporting cast only centered around uh, his co-star in the 2014 uh, cinematic classic Whiplash. Miles Teller just has to be like the, he can be the AGM and they can have a very tense and complicated relationship. Uh, I'm going with a guy who is a uh, a legendary basketball fan so i don't know how he would feel about being the centerpiece of a baseball centric show but the comedian hasan minaj i think is among the wittiest smartest funniest people on planet earth um any vehicle that would put hasan front and center i am a billion percent on board with uh i think building something around that guy who just has the most whip smart ability to observe and create humor out of things you gave that guy five minutes in a minor league front office you would have an entire show um, i like so that that's, one yeah. that's why i'm building it around his stand-up um, is fantastic he's amazing his old bits on the daily show yeah when he had his own show uh, i think it was on netflix right yes patriot act yeah, getting him a chance uh, to actually act in the middle of something. And he great. could bring in all of the other great, uh, you know, former Daily Show correspondents. Uh, Wyatt Cenac, who was my favorite forever, who had his own show on HBO for a little while. Uh, Problem Areas, I believe that show was called. Bring in Wyatt. Wyatt could be a hilarious character. Um, you know, Samantha B. Why not have Sam B? She was a, a massive favorite of mine as well on that show. Uh, but Hasan Minaj, man, there is just like nothing that guy does that I am not instantly obsessed with. Um, Josh Jackson uh put in his uh, coordinates in his time machine to go back and answer all of the specifics with this question so caleb's original question uh he wanted us to lay out the general manager assistant general manager director of sales director of marketing and grounds crew manager who also has some other characteristics uh josh went through and did each of those uh let's hear from josh as to his starring cast i'd have irene dunn play the gm peter laurie as the assistant gm william powell as the director of sales Cab Calloway as the director of marketing, and Clark Gable as the grounds crew manager who was also a relief pitcher who got picked in the Rule 5 draft four years ago without knowing it. Now, this might not fit with everybody Josh just said because Josh is casting something from, you know, half a century ago. Uh, But we do have to call this show something very specific, and I just wanted to say this to get it out of my system. It has to be called The Front Office, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's easy. That's like a spin-off. Like we don't have to pay anybody any rights, but it's very clear what it is, but yeah. also different because the word front is in there. We could just I think use... it's a wonderful working title that explains the project very well, but then you don't want to be wearing your influences on your sleeve so heavily. I just want to get this shot and get my executive producer credit. So if it's the front office that pushes it over the line, fine. That is true. Um, it would be a good way to at least get some notoriety for it and get our names. Yeah. Under that spot. Although I think executive producers, you're supposed to have like the money to fund something. I know the three of us don't have that. Um, I have five American dollars in my pocket right now, Tyler. I don't know what you're talking about. The CEO of Pizza Barge. Yeah. (laughs) 
That's a good point. Sam has that pizza barge money coming in. To be fair, five American dollars was like, you could pay the entirety of Josh's cast with five American dollars. They could all retire on that from the 1930s. And I also want to be very clear, if the IRS is listening, the pizza barge does not exist. <laughs> that's, where, that's where the IRS sleuths do all of their sleuthing. They listen to Minor League Baseball's official podcast. Like, man, we got to go after that Dykstra fellow, see? Man. I don't know why they are also from the 1930s, just like Josh's entire cast. Um, all right, we're wrapping this mailbag segment up before we get to our interview segment for this week's episode of the show before the show from A underscore M underscore two underscore K on Instagram. Uh, who do you think will be the best team in AAA this year, Sam Dykstra? Uh, in terms of season long, I mean, that's always very difficult to predict and, right. and probably want to go for – teams that have depth at the upper minor. So I think about like Durham Bulls are always good just because the Tampa Bay Rays are one of the deeper systems in baseball. But my actual answer, like who will I be watching most closely come April 5th, assuming the work stoppage is lifted and everything's back to normal. The Omaha storm chases are going to be loaded. That lineup is going to be insane. It was insane at the end of last year, but you're talking about Bobby Witt Jr. Who we talked about before as the best hitting prospect potentially in baseball, uh, Nick Prado at first base, who's, gold glove caliber there and also increased uh, his slugging output last year. MJ Melendez, the reigning minor league home run champ. All three of those guys could be in the conversation to start out the season in Kansas city, but if they're back in Omaha and hitting two, three, four, three, four, five, however you want to shake it, even Vinny Pasquantino could be in that conversation at some point. That's going to be a super, super fun team to watch. And if we only get to watch it for three weeks, because those guys get called up super quick, that's fine. But that's one everybody should be keeping their eye on. So thus concludes our inaugural mailbag segment on the show before the show podcast. And a uh, big thanks to all of you who participated. Uh, we talked about food a moment ago. We talked about food last week. If you are a human being who likes fried seasoned potatoes, you're going to love uh, our next segment. And by that, I mean uh, every human being who doesn't love fried seasoned potatoes. We're headed to Akron talking some JoJo's coming up next. Well, as regular listeners of the show before the show podcast are aware, we love to talk about uh, minor league promotions in general, but in particular, minor league baseball alternate food themed identities. And last week, one was announced that is my type of favorite food identity because it's one that I had never heard of before and one that I think most people in America have not heard much about at all. So we want to get to the bottom of this. What is an Akron JoJo? The Akron Rubber Ducks on July 28th and 29th will be playing as the Akron JoJo's celebrating a celebrated potato side dish. And uh, we're here to learn all about them with someone who can speak with enthusiasm and love on the JoJo. Akron Rubber Ducks GM and COO, Jim Fander. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me, guys. This is uh... This is always exciting to talk food with you guys as uh, we, we wait to begin the baseball season. And, you know, the uh, the JoJo is something that's that I didn't realize until I left Northeast Ohio, how no one else around the country calls the fried potato wedge um, a JoJo. And it's it's basically it's it, it, it's it's a wedge of potato that's coated in the same uh, coating that you would put on fried chicken, deep fried and served as a side dish to, you know, to fried chicken. It's served with uh, pizza. It's, it could be a side dish to pizza as well. And it's incredibly popular here in Akron, but everybody here calls it a Jojo. And I remember being out on the West Coast and being other cities. And I said, yeah, you throw in some Jojos with that too. And they're like, excuse me? 
<laughs> what did you say? What What are you talking about? So yeah, the uh, the the JoJo's are a big part of uh, the culinary uh, cuisine here in uh, Akron, Ohio. Yeah, well, I want to get into a lot of things regarding the JoJo's, including who has the best JoJo's. But let's talk about the promotion you're staging. Obviously, you've already unveiled the logo. Uh, what were the front office discussions and brainstorming like in terms of putting this together and deciding, yeah, we're going for it. We're going to become the JoJo's. Well, you know, it's funny. This actually, this whole conversation started uh, years ago. Uh, we were at an all-star game, uh, I believe it was in Trenton, and uh, we we're kind of getting together. To, if you've ever been to New Jersey, they're very excited about their pork rolls, and which are delicious, by the way. But it is definitely an, you know, an East Coast. I think it's kind of a Jersey thing. And uh, it kind of led to a discussion with us. It said, boy, there's, there, there's, what do we have in Akron that's unique? And what do we have that you might not find anywhere else in the country? And so it was really from, you know, Trenton's, Joe, um, Trenton's um, uh, pork roll night that kind of got us to think about what are some things in Akron that are, that are unique? And, and JoJo's were the first thing that came to mind. And I can remember telling the story about, you know, trying to order JoJo's and people looked at me like I was crazy. It was like, you know, quoting Beatles lyrics, like what, what was wrong with me? And, uh, and it was like, no, this is an actual thing. So we started that planning process and we started, okay, here's some ideas for down the road and here's some of the things that we've done. And we had done some rebranding uh, back in the 19th season. We were the, uh, the Akron Screamers after some of our, our crazy extreme food items that we serve at the ballpark. And uh, we said, well, maybe there's something regional that we can do. And, uh, and so everybody started kind of throwing out ideas as we we're sitting around the table and, and JoJo's definitely came up. There's a couple more that we have in our back pockets that we'll be maybe doing in subsequent years as well. So I can't leach it in all the secrets just yet, but, but the JoJo was one for us. We said, why that's, it is so unique. And, and everybody, as we went around the table said, boy, once I left Akron or once I was out of the state and went somewhere else, they don't call them JoJo's. So it was, it was just kind of a fun conversation. It kind of built upon itself. And then, you know, Kyle Hicksonball, who uh, oversees all of our promotions uh, and our marketing here was like, boy, wouldn't it be cool if the numbers on the jersey were made out of JoJo's and, and what other fun things can we do with JoJo? So it just kind of the, you know, the, the, just the ball started rolling at that point. And we're like, well, you know, one of the great things is everybody has JoJo's as a side dish in Akron at the difference, you know, you know, whether you're selling fried chicken, whether you're selling pizza. And so let's invite them out to the ballpark and let's do a taste test. And we realized that we had enough stuff, enough um, material that it wasn't going to fit in one night. So we said, let's do it over two nights. So that's, a, that's how it, it kind of births. So um, on July 28th, what we'll do is we'll have, you know, area restaurants, they can come in, we'll set up tasting tables on the concourse and fans can decide who's got the best Jojo in Akron, and then we'll bring the winner back on July 29th. We'll wear the JoJo jerseys for both games, and then we'll have that uh, that winner crown before the game starts. They get to throw out a first pitch and really just make it a fun celebration of all things JoJo's. Yeah, and, and Jim, you've touched on it a little bit of like every place has potato wedges or a potato side dish of some sort. Mostly it's just fries, maybe it's crinkle cut, maybe it's shoestring, whatever. Um, but what makes it special to Akron? I, I know when you guys posted it, you talked about how there were two Lebanese immigrants about 60 years ago now who kind of brought it to the region. But why have the people of Akron and that area really taken to this as well? You know, I, I don't know. I think it's just one of those foods that people identify with. You know, it, I, there were the story is, is that it started in Youngstown, which is about, you know, 30, 45 minutes uh, just to the east of us in Akron. And, um, and then Fiesta Chicken, which is a local 
um, you know, again, uh, a local restaurant that serves, you know, hot dog, or, I'm sorry, um, um, pizza and, and fried chicken, you know, they brought it to the group and they said, hey, boy, this is going to be something that's going to be really, really great. And, but the, I, the name Jojo, I don't know where it came from, but that's what they called them. I mean, it was like, hey, this is going to be great. And it literally is, it's, it take a full slice potato, they slice it up, you know, they, uh, they dredge it. And then they uh, and then they drop in this machine, and it was really cool for us because we kind of got a, a behind the scenes tour of how they actually make these things. And they they put them in the deep fryer, and then they pull them out. And I mean, it is, but it's the breading is is the same thing that you would have on fried chicken. So it's just it's just kind of a unique thing. And then the next question is, well, what do you what do you dip your JoJo's in? Because there's a lot of you know different you know you can go you can go down a whole nother you know uh, tangent of what you dip in. Is it ketchup? Is it ranch? You know, what do you dip your JoJo's in? So I think it just lends itself to so many different ways and so many different ideas um, that kind of created just from, you know, playing with your food that we've been kind of, kind of known for here in minor league baseball, having fun with our food. Jim, somebody uh, pointed out to us that uh, LeBron James recently posted a, an Instagram story in which he was eating salmon and I think a salad and he had a glass of wine and some JoJo's and he referred to it on the Instagram story as JoJo's and said, my Akron people will know. Um, I would imagine <laughs> with a regional delicacy, there are always kind of those tribal elements of, well, this place is better, that place is better. What is the debate like between people in Akron versus the, the camps of who has the best JoJo's? Oh, there are definitely sides in this equation. So that's a great question. A lot of people think they've got the best JoJo's and, uh, you know, Fiesta Chicken was really the first. So that's the kind of the one that's tried and true. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, as the different area restaurants kind of bring out their JoJo's, you know, on July 28th, which one's going to be the best? And, and I think there are camps, you know, you got to go with the original one. Oh, no, wait a minute. You know, you got to try this one on the west side or this one on the east side. So really for us, it's uh, it's going to be really interesting to see kind of uh, who wins the JoJo battle. And and the great the best thing is, you know, the fans get to decide. Now, I'm sure I'll get the chance to uh, to, uh, to partake in some of these different JoJo's that they bring in. But the fans at the ballpark that night will decide who's got the best JoJo's in Akron once and for all. And Jim, we were talking about this last week when we discussed it after you guys first announced it. Um, the logo kind of has this. Conan O'Brien feel to it. Uh, just the <laughs> animation. It just reminded us so much of Conan. And a lot of that is because of the hairdo, I think. Um, also the smile, if, if you've seen the Conan O'Brien uh, cartoon before, he looks a little bit like that, but it's, it's mostly the hair. And you were talking before about dips and like what sauces you might use. How much yes. of a debate was there in the office of like, do we go with ketchup? Do we go with ranch? Do we provide people with options? Like just that aspect of the logo alone, I'm very interested in. Well, I can tell you that the hair is definitely um, ketchup. So the Conan O'Brien hair is uh, is definitely ketchup. That one by a landslide in the office. We do have a younger office too, though. So I mean, I don't know. Maybe they haven't they haven't grown up and tried uh, different types of uh, dips. Besides, they're still in that ketchup phase. But uh, but it, it, it just in all fun, I, you know. I think a lot of people have different dips, and there, there's a lot of different. Hey, what do you what do you dip your JoJo in? So I can see that becoming a big feature of the night as well, and. You know, you know, um, many years ago, we did a promotion called Condiment Wars, and uh, you had to decide which was the best condiment, where, whether it was ketchup, whether it was mustard, whether it was Texas peat, you know, depending on what region of the country, there's all kinds of different uh, condiments. And I think the uh, Condiment Wars may return with what you dip your JoJo into. Is it going to be ketchup? Is it going to be ranch? Is it going to be blue cheese? That's another very popular 
um, you know, dip for the, for the Jojo. So um, that's, what's great about it is because it's food. It really unites us, but it also, everybody's very particular about what they, uh, what they dip their Jojos into. And in terms of this uh, logo that Sam is alluding to, it does have a Conan O'Brien-esque look to it. The Jojo is a potato wedge with a bat. Uh, his tongue is out because he loves the way the spices on his face taste. And um, <laughs> how did this logo come about? Can you give us a little detail into uh, choosing how to embody a Jojo for a baseball uniform and uh, corresponding merch that I'm sure the fans will be buying in droves? Well, I'll tell you what, Ben, I had, I can't draw. So I definitely had nothing to do with uh, dreaming up. I can give ideas, but we, we partnered with a company called Brandios. Um, and, uh, and so, so Casey White and Jason Klein, who really helped us dream up the identities of the Akron rubber ducks and then our sister team, the, uh, the Jacksonville jumbo shrimp. Um, so we're already having fun with food anyways. Uh, but they were great with saying, Hey, what, you know, kind of what's the essence of the Jojo. And, uh, and so they're the ones that kind of like, dove in and said, you know, here, if you dip it in ketchup, let's give him some red hair. Maybe he's got some dip coming off the top of his head, the potato wedge I'm talking about. And, uh, and let's come up with a design that can really embody kind of what a Jojo is and, 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 and what it means. And, you know, the colors we chose were um, uh, Italian colors. You know, obviously Fiesta Chicken is where it started and it really was kind of an Italian uh, food side dish. So we use kind of the colors in the Italian flag to really kind of dream up what this uh, identity and what this uh, look and feel was going to was going to be and, and how it was going to come to life. Well, Akron Jojo is July 28th and 29th. The rubber ducks will transform into a regional potato side dish. And Jim, before you go, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but let's just say uh, not to be morbid, but it's your last meal and uh, you're getting Jojo's. You have one Jojo meal remaining. Where do you go for that final taste of the Jojo, the ultimate Jojo, the, the best Jojo? Boy, you're going to get me in trouble because uh, I, I do try to partake to as many of these restaurants as I can. <laughs> so I you're, you're, you need to be diplomatic. But. I know, right? You're choosing between your kids when you do this. You know, it's like <laughs> a, kind of the same thing. I mean, heck, we already have ice cream wars, you know, with who gets what type of ice cream and what region of uh, Akron and the greater Akron area that you live in. So um, I would just say that... Uh, um, it would be a surprise and it will keep it a surprise to who, who I'd go to because I don't want to show any bias. Like Akron is going to decide who's got the best Jojo in town. And I can't let my bias take over before the promotion happens. But I'll tell you what, on July 30th, I will have an answer to that question for you. <laughs> All right. Uh, make a note. We have to book Jim for uh, July 30th and, uh, <laughs> from diplomacy to, uh, to the, the, the true answer done after extensive ballpark research. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Jim Fander, the GM and COO of the Akron Rubber Ducks. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast to talk about JoJo's. Anytime you want to have me talk about fried potatoes, happy to do it. So thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate everything you guys do. And uh, can't wait to, for uh, JoJo night here in Akron. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One is inked into history. 
The others were jotted down in a dream journal. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Bend Benders. B. The King of Prussia Prussians. C. The Union Spring Springs. You fell flat, no bounce, unless you guessed C. The Union Spring Springs. Established as the Springers in the Alabama-Florida League of 1936, the club dropped the final syllable in 37 and rebranded as the Redbirds in 38. Whether springy or flighty, those teams played in the southeastern Alabama town known as a hotbed for bird dog competition since the late 19th century. But the bird dogs that bathed loudest in the late 30s weren't after quail, but fledgling cardinals. Young ball players, that is. Branch Rickey's innovative farm system made Union Springs a springboard to St. Louis from the moment the two franchises reached an agreement on April 8, 1936. And while some of the history books list three name changes for the Miners team over the three seasons, the press continually referred to them as the Springers, Springs, and the Union Spring Cardinals throughout their brief existence. By any name, Union Springs was considered an excellent amateur baseball town perfectly primed for the pro scene when the Alabama-Florida League formed in 36 and the Springs became the boys of summer. The new baseball league will prove a great thing for the game, the Union Springs Herald reported that April. The big future will be the entertainment it will afford the followers of the various teams, but the advanced leagues have an eye for business in going into these towns to help support the projects. Whatever help the team got from being under the Cardinals' wing, with one season under the bed, er, under the belt, the Springs hoped for a little more fan support. Encouraging citizens to attend an April 1st, 1937 meeting with board members who just returned from a conference with Ricky, Union Springs' newspaper bemoaned, It is a peculiar trait of human beings, but along the 4th of July, there will be plenty of fans who can tell you how the local team ought to have been handled, but these experts won't even take enough interest in the team now to go to a meeting. In the end, no wellspring of love flowed forth for the Springs. In the middle of the 38th season, the team's board of directors opened the books to the press and showed a bank balance of $268.94. Despite a sensational season from King of the Springs, Steve Summerhill, who hit 362 to lead the league and was also tops in hits, total bases, and RBIs, the Cardinals ended their affiliation with the Alabama Birds and a reorganization of the Alabama-Florida League bounced Union Springs for 1939. And that's the skinny skinny on the Union Spring Springs. <laughs> now, on to the question for next time. Which of these spicy squads was actually in fuego in the miners of yesteryear? A, the Hatch Valley Chili. B, the Paris Red Peppers. C, the Aberdeen Scotch Bonnets. Want to know the answer? Pucker up, hot stuff. Or tune into the next Ghost of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is trying for a gold medal, and he hasn't got the brass. Oh.
Well, huge thanks to uh, Jim Vander from the Akron Rubber Ducks slash JoJo's for stopping by the show a little while ago. And of course, to your friend and ours, Josh Jackson, for uh, stepping out of the time machine for not only Ghosts of the Miners, but hanging around for our Q&A segment uh, earlier in the show. And that will just about do it. Uh, On last week's episode of the show, uh, we teased a potential future segment idea that was like chum in the water for minor league baseball on-field hosts. We got quite the response from the on-field host community. Uh, ben was discussing an idea of, of uh, a potential competition between minor league baseball's top on-field hosts, and they ran with it, to say the least, on social media. Um, we now, obviously, we got to do something. Uh, we're not going to lock ourselves into a date. We're, we're going to figure out parameters or have you figure out parameters of something. But I think the response shows eh, we got to do something now. I agree. But kind of like you said, Tyler, uh, maybe we'll let the uh, on-field host community sort of uh, sort themselves out a little bit. And then, you know, then once we get a little more clarity on uh, what direction we want to move, um, we do something, but clearly, yeah, it is a, a very passionate topic and uh, it did start, there's many talents one must bring to that role, but it did start with the best dressed category. So there's one, one way to do it is keep it simple on that. But uh, yeah, we're just going to have to let this one, you know, play out a little bit. We're not uh, immediate reactors. We don't need to see the clickbait headline and say, Oh, that's what we're doing. <laughs> we, um, we uh, look for things with nuance and explore it from all angles and realize the best content is the content that simmers and grows and evolves and becomes something you never thought it would be when you first had the idea. Are you still talking about the podcast or something? Else? <laughs> you know, what we are talking about, you need to let the, the things simmer to bring out their true depth and flavor. Like the good folks at pizza barge. <laughs> Where? I thought you were going to talk about Akron Jojo's and like <laughs> putting them in the fryer, but no, the, the pizza barge will never give our way our secrets. So all proprietary information. I, I couldn't possibly comment on how long things <laughs> And But now, maybe we are going to throw some JoJo's into this fictional pizza boat that we have uh, sailing around the North Atlantic. Uh, but yeah, we got a lot of fun stuff coming up for you on the show before the show as we get closer and closer to minor league opening day that first weekend in April. Or the first week in April, I should say. And uh, for everybody here at MILB.com and uh, for Benjamin Hill and Sam Dykstra and Josh Jackson, my name is Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>